We're going to have this for you on the screen as well. Allie, would you bring our reading this morning? 1 Corinthians 6, 11 through 14 and verse 20 say, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, and verse 30 say, All things are lawful, but not all, are, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As we've been in our Corinthians series thus far, we have primarily covered two different subjects. We have covered the subjects of unity and purity. Now last week is when we covered a number of topics related to purity in the church. And this week, actually, Paul is continuing that dialogue with the church. But I want to make a connection to a theme that is running throughout Paul's letter. Really, not just through chapters 6 through 10 but uh, through the entirety of the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a phrase that is repeated in 1 Corinthians in 16 chapters. It's repeated 25 times, and that is all things. All things. A couple of our verses today capture that. And what we need to understand is that Paul is specifically addressing something in the Corinthian culture But he's speaking to the church, and so by extension, he's speaking to you and to me today. But he's highlighting something about who God is and what aspects of our lives that he wants. He wants all things. He wants all things. And I think that what we're seeing here, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10... In verse 30, where it says that all of these things that we do, whether you eat or drink, do all of those things for what? Do all of those things for the glory of God. So what we're talking about today is that we have been set free to glorify God. Isn't that amazing to just think about? Just just before we dive into things here, just pause for a moment. I think that the, the glory of God is one of those phrases that we can kind of throw around in the church in a way that almost causes it to lose its power. You and I, we've been saved. That's amazing. Not just rescued, though, we've been given a purpose. What is that purpose? That purpose is to point to the glory of God. So the way that we live our lives, the way that we interact with one another, the things that we give ourselves to, the things that we take into our lives, into our home, our workplace, our campuses, all of those things can bring glory to his name. Think about it a little bit more deeply. 
Glory is one of those phrases that is often used in a negative sense. So, so for example, uh, some might say, you know, that film really glorifies violence. What's it doing? It's, it's highlighting something. It's, it's bringing attention to it. It's, it's kind of putting the spotlight on it. It glorifies. Maybe, maybe somebody's walking around with a glorified sense of self-importance. These are phrases that we use that, again, they, they use this phrase glorify, and yet it's at the core of what we believe as a church. Let's make sure that we believe the same thing together, both in unity and in purity of what we're talking about together. It might be used in a way that's more about an, about an individual, like no guts, no glory, right? Or how about this one? Those were the glory days. We, we talk about glory in these ways that kind of diminish what the word actually means. So to, to give something glory, to speak of glory is to understand it's this public praise, it's this bringing of honor, it's, it's bringing fame to something or someone. To glorify something is to highlight it in a way that lights it up brilliantly for all to see. You and I get to do that for God himself. Our lives can reflect his glory. Not our glory, his glory. But here's our challenge. I think our challenge is this, we confine the glory of God to this hour and a half together, maybe that hour and a half together in community group, maybe the time that you give to some sort of service, or, or maybe the monies that you give in, in offering, and we kind of confine the glory of God to those things, and almost, whether intentionally or not, we draw a line that says, your glory stops here, and then the rest of it's for my glory. So we're going to build it around the things that I want or the things that I desire, the, the business or the, the, the gain that I want. Now, those 160 other hours of the week, they're for my glory. And it sounds crass to say that out loud, and yet isn't that how we're tempted to live? I, I'll just give you a practical example from this morning. I was, I was running with Duncan the Wonder Pup, and we were out, and I just thought, how much am I even thinking about the glory of God? I'm just trying to catch my breath. And I realized when... Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, he wants all things. Do you know what moment he's talking about to me? Running with Duncan the Wonder Pup. And so I began to think, like, what brings you glory in the midst of this? And isn't it as simple the fact that we're just thinking about the glory of God in those mundane moments? Isn't it amazing how God redeems not just us, but he gives us a purpose. He redeems our very purpose that in those mundane moments, I can be prepared to bring God glory in any way, shape, or form. That, that's almost daunting to think about, isn't it? So I don't want us to be afraid to think about the glory of God, but I don't want us to think about it in this anemic way either. I want us to realize that Paul, for him, there was this, this purpose over his life why is it that he's been set free? As a matter of fact, when he's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and such were some of you, well, how were we? Well, we were deceived. We were deceived. It says it just before that in verse 9 of chapter 6. There was sexual immorality. There was idolatry. There was adultery. There was homosexuality. There was theft. There was greed. There was drunkenness. There was those who were revilers, those who were swindling. What is he speaking about? The things that distort and, and are evil and they take God's good created design and they twist it in a way that's for their own gain. It builds up for them. And he says, and such were some of you. 
In a gathering this size, I have no doubt that as such were some of us. But you were washed. This is what it means to be set free. This is what Darren was walking us through in that ministry time as we were beginning in worship this morning. You were washed. Not with your own efforts. Not with your own glories. You were washed by the blood of the Lamb. You were sanctified. There was a a purity that came in that moment that you cannot attain for yourself. You were justified. You were put back in right standing before a holy and righteous judge. Not only was your account and your ledger wiped clean, the righteousness of Christ was given to you in your favor. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How was that? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I think it's in that that we need to make sure that we have a right understanding before we start trying to live for the glory of God. We need to understand washed, sanctified, justified so that by the Spirit of God we can live for His glory in every moment of our lives. So we've been set free for what? What are we supposed to do with the riches of His grace? We've been set free to glorify God through what we give ourselves to. See, Paul wants us to understand something. He wants us to understand how it is that God is over all things and that when we submit our, our When we submit all things in our lives to his way, doing that brings God glory. When we submit everything in our lives to his way, we can bring God glory. So we're free to glorify God through what we give ourselves to. And in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, it goes through that wash, sanctified, justified. And then he kind of goes into this interesting phrase where he says, all things are lawful for me. And if perhaps you have your app or your Bible open, you may see... There are scare quotes around that. What is that? Well, it's not Paul saying that's the way to live the Christian life. If that's a misunderstanding, don't do that. It will leave devastation. It will leave spiritual bodies in the wake. I've seen it happen. When people live as if all things are actually lawful for them, it's almost like they're, they're living their lives in a way that Romans 6 seems to address, where it says, should, should I sin all the more so that grace can abound more? And what does Paul say? No! All things are lawful for me. He's actually speaking to a Corinthian phrase. He's speaking to something that is very much a part of the Era. It's kind of like the Corinthian Kesarasara. Whatever will be, will be. Everything is lawful for me. And Paul is addressing that very specifically. There were other sayings at the time. As a matter of fact, he, he mentions one right here. I'll not be dominated by anything. And then he goes on to say, food is meant for the stomach and, and the stomach for food. What is he addressing there? Well, in the midst of this particular passage, he's actually addressing sexual purity. And you may think, but he speaks about food in chapters 8 through 10. That's correct, because Paul tends to kind of write in these circular arguments where he's he's laying the groundwork for the things that he's going to bring our attention to, but he's making a connection between 1 Corinthians 6 and 10. Now, they didn't have these chapter and verse markers. 
They would have been hearing all of this at one time. If I'm not mistaken, this read aloud would take just under an hour. So when we're asking you to read a couple of chapters each week, we're asking for 10 minutes of your time. 10 minutes of your time to be prepared for God's Word when we gather together next week. But I want us to see the connections between 6 and 10. So I'm grateful for the chapter and verse markers. I'm grateful for those moments where we can see these things. But food is meant for the stomach. And actually what was being suggested here was a distorted view of the physical body and of sexual desires. Now I said that I wasn't going to continue to go into that. I'll leave it at that. But there was another phrase at the time. To act like a Corinthian. So we know that these phrases existed kind of in the past like when in Rome... Right, So act like a Corinthian. What is that basically saying? Well, it's like the OG version of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And if you've seen Lake Mead drying up, you realize it's still in Vegas, but everybody knows now. Because the bodies are beginning to be seen. I think the mob has some troubles heading its direction where it's been hiding some of the bodies. It might find Jimmy Hoffa. All right, I got to stop. All right, so... What is he saying? It's act like a Corinthian. It just means whatever, whenever, for whatever pleasure that you kind of crave and desire in that moment. So you realize when he's saying all things are lawful, he's not introducing the idea of Christian liberties. He's limiting the idea of Christian liberties. He's saying be different than the world that you're in. This is what the world that you're in says, and that's not what the gospel is for. It's not a permission slip for your licentiousness. It's not something that you can say, hey, listen, whatever I give myself to, food is meant for the stomach, right? Like, so, when in Corinth? No. No, don't live that way. I think about it this way. I've been listening to a podcast recently called Lawless. It's by World News Group. It's actually a recounting of the 2005 Terry Schiavo case. Many here in Florida would remember that. It was something that actually captured national attention. The idea here is not to talk about a podcast as much as it is the byline of that podcast. It's what caught my attention. It kind of bothers me to hear it. Listen to what the byline says. Not every crime is against the law. You know, that's, that's interesting. That's what Paul's actually after in our hearts in 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful for me. In your Christian liberties, in your salvation, in your freedom, there are a lot of things that are not specifically spoken to in our lives. But are they beneficial? Are, the th- are they the things that we should give ourselves to in a way that says, I'm here to glorify God, or are they the moments that we seek to steal his glory for ourselves? See, Christians do have a newfound freedom. But Paul's insisting that in that freedom that there are certain forms of behavior, while maybe not actually sinful, have the power to enslave people and lead them away from complete devotion to Christ. Let me give you an example. I think when it comes to food, we in the church, and I'm saying maybe even just me in my own heart, maybe here in Metro Life Church, I'm not sure if this is one where I'm speaking to the church universal, I understand it can be hard to keep up with what I might be saying in the midst of that. How about I just say this? Let's not reduce food conversations in the church to whispers of, is it okay for you to drink alcohol or not? Can I just tell you convictionally where I stand? I do not have a conviction against drinking alcohol. But can I also say this? 
I just said that and mamma may be watching. I, I, I did. But I don't drink in front of mamma because there's a conviction that she has. Mamma, I love you. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. I think that we've grossly underestimated what it is that Paul is after. Whether that's wine, whether that's beer, whether that's uh, any number of things that are available now I can't even keep up with, whether that's some form of whiskey or hard liquor, there are moments where we have to learn to draw a line. And for my brothers and sisters, where that line is, that you have a conviction not to drink, can I tell you what a joy it is not to drink with you or in front of you or around you? You are still my brother or sister, no more or no less, because that is a secondary issue. Now, I'm being honest and transparent about a conviction that I have. Many of you who know me know that I don't typically take that type of a stand, but I do want to say I think it's a gross distortion of Scripture to think that talking about alcohol is the only thing that Paul's after here. Paul's actually after something far beyond our stomachs. He's after our hearts. Because out of our heart is where the fruit of glorifying God begins to spring forth. So he's after our hearts. He's after the renewal of our minds and the ways that we think. And so he's laying out, even in the midst of talking about sexual immorality, he's laying out the groundwork to begin to talk about food so that it, it captures our hearts for the things of God. It captures our hearts for the things of God. See, our faith is to be lived out in every moment of every day. So when Paul is talking about all things, he means all things in all ways at all times. Jesus gave his all for you. It's nothing to offer my all back to him. It's nothing to offer my all back to him. I actually want us just to take a moment and consider how we close our gatherings. Let this not become something that's white noise to us. I'm going to close our gathering today just before I give a head nod to the guys upstairs. It's okay to play the video. And may God bless you this week as you live for what? His glory alone. See, it brings God glory that you join us online. It brings God glory that you gather here together with us. But bringing God glory doesn't stop the moment we walk out of those doors. The call to bring God glory doesn't stop when fellowship is over in community groups. The call to bring God glory doesn't stop when the neighbor-to-neighbor yard is finished. The call to bring God glory envelops all of us. It's an all-encompassing salvation. It's an all-encompassing renewal of our hearts and our minds. So today, I also want to remind us in the midst of that that there are blessings in the new covenant for obeying Jesus Christ. May God bless you as you live for his glory. May that bring a sense of fullness and purpose and peace to your life. May God bless you as you live for his glory alone. But see, we know the opposite version of that. We know when the consequences of not living for his glory alone 
hit. We know the moments where life doesn't seem like it was designed for this because we have stepped out of living for the glory of God. We know those moments. And what do I want to remind us of after we hear that verse? I want to remind us that these are intended to bring blessing to those that God has not only created, but he has redeemed. May God bless you as you live for what? His glory alone. So we are free to give God glory through what we give ourselves to. What else? We are free to glorify God through what we bring into our lives. Now, this is where we're going to kind of flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We see here that there are warnings against idolatry. And then he gets to the end, in, or midway through the chapter in verse 23, and he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, and now he puts a little twist on it, doesn't he? He says, not all things build up. Not all things build up. There, are, there is actually a devastation, a leveling, a deconstruction, a condemnation that can happen through the things that we bring into our lives, isn't there? We know this to be true. Plenty of things are not banned, but they're not beneficial either. I have this weird thing going through my mind right now that hasn't been going through my mind all week, and that is to use being gluten-free as an illustration. I don't want to do that because I'm already hungry. (laughs) See, as followers of Jesus, we're not just to ask the question of, is this lawful? We're supposed to ask the follow-up question, too, is this loving? You know what my concern is? We don't ask either one. I'll confess, there there are moments in life that just get busy, and I don't ask either one. This isn't a confession of sin or anything like that. It's a confession of not being intentional to live for the glory of God. I don't want to live like that. I want to have those intentional moments. I want to have those on-purpose moments, on-mission moments in my life. I want to have a sense of fulfillment in the things that that I do. I'm no different than you in that. I just get to admit it in front of everybody. Do you know what my concern has been this week? We've stopped asking the questions at all. We've allowed the busyness and the frenetic pace of life to take over asking anything about what we do, and we just go with the flow. Man, it sounds like a Corinthian, doesn't it? What consequences have come? Has it built up? No, that's a consequence. Has it built our brother or sister up? Has it built up our own family? Has it built up our own faith? No, that's a consequence. It's just an easy one to accept. Church, can we slow down and ask the question? Not just the question of, what am I giving myself to? So that that can include all of your efforts, your labor, even your sports and your hobbies. This is not me trying to have some grand message that hymns us in from any enjoyment and pleasure in life. All of those things can bring glory to God. What we give ourselves to can bring glory to God. It's our heart and our mind's posture toward the things that we're doing that, that Paul is after. And I believe, actually, God is after, speaking through his servant Paul. He's after those things in our hearts. 
He's getting back to the very core of why it is that he saved us to begin with. So it's not just the things that we give ourselves to, but it's also the things that we bring into our lives. Are they beneficial? Are they building others up? I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I think this is a helpful place to maybe just give a bit of time to it. I think this is a gathering of Christians. But I think Christians is a worldly term. And I I say that because it was actually the world that called the church Christians first. We see that in Scripture. Actually, the word Christians is only used three times throughout the Bible. Now, we are Christians. Do you know what word Jesus used for us? Disciples. That's different. See, to the world, we should be Christians. But to one another, we should be disciples. We should be disciples. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean discipline, but it doesn't not mean that either. Self-control, that's a fruit of the Spirit. See, with one another, we're to be disciples. That, that term is used throughout the New Testament 281 different times. Maybe we should give some attention to it. Not just in the things that we give ourselves to, but in the things that we bring into our lives as well. Now, this certainly speaks of food. We don't, as I started out with, have these kind of food controversies. We don't necessarily have like the neighborhood temple giving food sacrifices to idols. I think I'm grateful for that. But we have a lot of unhealthy food that we can bring into our spiritual lives. Jan Nyhart mentioned the spirit man in her prophetic word this morning. That's not language that we often use, but it's, it's a phrase that, that I think can help us at times to understand like that spiritual being nourished and, and built up. Darren even kind of came back around that, to that in ministry time today that, that we want to do the things that nourish and build up our spirit, our soul, our faith. You know, on one of those walks with Duncan, oftentimes that's my time with the Lord. He gets a few miles a day on good days. And every once in a while, it's just time to listen to a podcast. I was listening to one about the fall, uh, some of the things that have been going on at Liberty University, and I realized I can't listen to this. Well, that's not because like my, my Christian sensibilities are kind of being pricked or whatever else, or like they're talking about a brother or sister in Christ. I think that might be true. I, I actually don't know. I had to stop listening to it because it was perverse. I'm not here to pass judgment or anything like that, but can I just say I had to stop listening because I realized they're talking in detail about things that Paul speaks against in 1 Corinthians 6 through 8. I can't let that in. I have to draw a line. And I share that story not because it's like this grand victory, but, you know, that's a moment of intentionality, isn't it? And what I'm I'm sharing that story for is where are the moments that the Holy Spirit wants you to be intentional as well? What is it that you're feeding your soul with? Is it building things up, even in your own soul, let alone your, your fellow brother or sister in Jesus Christ? Is it building up your own soul, or is it something that is degrading the glory of God that you've been called to display? Let's not talk about food. Let's talk about spiritual nourishment. 
One of my favorite questions to ask when I get together for lunch with someone or we're meeting, I love to ask, what are you reading lately? Can I admit how shocking the answers most often are? Now, I'm not a big reader outside of things related to the church and things like that. I'll tell you all about, like, I, have, I love Churchill. I have our time reading stuff about Churchill and history. And, and we've tried. Roxanne Chen has tried to help me. <laughs> Thank you, Roxanne. I, I can struggle with it. She had to ask for one of her books back. She's like, I, listen, I don't think you're going to finish this. I'd like to read it again, and you're an idiot, so can I have my book back? I'm not talking about that. You can read those books. That's not the point. The point is this. Are you reading this book at all? The nourishment. Is it, is it only coming from the summaries you hear from other speakers or podcasts that are summarizing the Word of God on your behalf? Don't chew on the cud of someone else. Take it in for yourself. See, when we think about this word disciple, it starts to address some things that they hit home in ways that we might not be comfortable with. Last week, I kind of gave a passing glance to church discipline. That's an easy subject to do something real quick on, isn't it? I like to talk about church discipline. Can I just propose that church discipline exists for the purity of the church and for the purity of the gospel? Church discipline is intended to be redemptive. That is our perspective on it. But church discipline isn't as necessary when disciples are being made. See, we, we've politicized that concept. We've kind of, Ameri we've, we've glorified it in the history of America to say that, like, in our freedoms, our, our freedom aren't free. I agree with that. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not knocking that patriotic sentiment. What I'm saying is don't miss the biblical connection. Church discipline isn't necessary when I'm a disciple, when you're a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that we are receiving the instruction of our great teacher. Who is our great teacher? Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one who unlocks for us that spiritual nourishment that we need. So this is about more than food, but it's not about less than that. It's about more than convictions over issues like alcohol or red meat or gluten. It's not about less than that. It's about spiritual nourishment for the church. Why? He says that all things, not all things, build up. It's kind of in connection with another Christian turn of phrase. See, disciples are being built up so that they can build others up. And you know what that does? That purifies the church for the glory of God. Paul's kind of toggling back and forth between an illustration of the church as the gathering of those who have been redeemed and the individuals that make up that gathering. So when we are disciples, church discipline is not as necessary in the church. 
See, both discipleship and church discipline are for the purity of the church, and both unity and purity in the church matter very much to Paul. That's why he's taking the time to draw these things out and draw our attention to the intentionality that is required in our faith. It is wonderful that we are saved and we are free, but we are free from something and we are free for something, and that something is the glory of God. See, a a disciple is one who knows the things that they can say yes to and one who knows the things that they can say no to just as easily because those things don't reign over us. Christ does. And the unity and purity of his church matter most to us. So Paul, in his conclusion, gets to this, that matters of food and drink are secondary. But glorifying God, that's of most importance. So the question that I think that we should be asking ourselves this morning is this. What are we building, our, building up with our lives and whose glory is it for? What are we building with our lives and whose glory is it for? Now, Shane did a great job a few weeks ago helping us understand the construction analogy uh, as there's this connection with another kind of common turn of phrase in Corinth that not all things build up. Can I end here today? You and I are not only free to glorify God, we were made for that purpose. The desire and the longing for that has been imprinted into our DNA. It's at the very core of who we are. When Jesus saw, or when God saw how we were being fearfully and wonderfully made part of that fearful and wonderful creation, in the midst of that was imprinted on us the burden to bring glory to God with our lives. We are free and we were made to glorify God. That means that we live a life that has been set aside from the things of the world for God. That means that we are dedicated to making God's name known. That we are, we are ones who seek to amplify His renown and His holiness and His worth and His honor. You know, here at the church we'll often talk about the solas, the five solas. And that kind of just means the alone, right? So it's in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone through Scripture alone, and for God's glory alone. I almost forgot one. Five solas, right? Five solas, and we talk about that as a part of kind of the Reformation. But you know what's interesting to me? We can often talk about these things and just think like, wow, it's, it's only the pastors that really have drawn our attention to some of these things. Do you know who introduced the phrase, to the glory of God alone? It was Handel and Bach. Artists, musicians. You know, because God wants glory through those things as well. All things He wants glory through. He wants His glory to be be reflected through all things. And He uses artists to bring our attention to something that we actually end our services with, to the glory of God alone. One of the five solas that we talk about building on here in the church So we don't add to the gospel, but we don't take away from it either. We don't rob it of its power. And you may think, like, it's interesting to talk about those things because in the midst of that, we're talking about the grace of God and the grace. Grace seems like it's for those who are weak and needy, doesn't it? That sounds a lot like me. But grace is powerful. Because grace defeats the enemy of your soul. Grace is powerful. So you know what? Let me be weak. 
so that he might be shown as strong. Grace is powerful. Those five solas, are, they are powerful for us to understand and celebrate But when we talk about the glory of God alone, I believe that we have actually a picture of one of the pieces that has that phrase on it. Maybe not. It's okay. Uh, We have uh, at the end of their songs, they would write, Solit Deo Gloria, or SDG. You'll see it on some of Bach and Handel's music. It's because the point of glorifying God comes really at a an interesting spot in Scripture, doesn't it? It comes at a spot where it looks like, I didn't expect it there. It, it comes in the midst of a discussion, a lengthy discussion actually, about laws regarding food. What does that tell us? Glorify God in the mundane moments of your life. Glorify God in the most mundane of the moments of your life. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is seeking to help a body of believers. They are dear to him. He planted this church. He spent uh, over a year and a half with them. But they're living in a very pagan context. They're living in a world that I hope that you have been helped as we've been seeking along the way to make connections to our own culture today. That we see some parallels between those two things. And he's helping them to understand what to eat and what not to eat. He's going to go through a number of helpful points about how it is that you should handle food and, and what, how to serve the food in the midst of all of that. But concluding that section, he says in verse 31 of chapter 10, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So here in the midst of writing about a very base need in us as those who are create a need for food and sustenance, he slips in the purpose of our existence. He slips into the mundane, the purpose of our existence. Something that's at the very heartbeat of our faith, that whatever it is that you do, seeing every moment of existence as an opportunity to glorify God. Do we think about it that intentionally? Do we think about it that intentionally? Because this matters for the decisions that we make with our lives. This matters for the things that we give ourselves to. I said this at the, at the outset. Personally, I could find this concept, this concept of giving all. All of my life being called to bring God glory or living my life for the glory of God that can be very daunting. And you know what I realize in the midst of those daunting moments? That's because I'm trying to do it myself. Because I'm trying to do it myself. See, Paul, back in chapter 6, verse 11, he told us the, the tools that are available to us for this Christian life. Christ himself is a key that unlocks the power to live this way. And through what? The power of the Holy Spirit. You and I have the Holy Spirit with us everywhere to point us back to Christ's work to remind us of the glory that we're called to live for. These aren't tools of condemnation. They're tools of freedom to live for His glory. These aren't tools of shame. They're they're tools to release the chains that shame can so easily put on our hearts and our minds that burden them 
even in the midst of those most mundane moments. So it's not just a being set free so that we're back at, at base level. It's being set free so that we can live, so that we are empowered. But Paul doesn't leave us wanting. He shows us how it is that God doesn't leave us falling short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 says. He shows us how it is that we can live for him. Isn't it true we can tie ourselves in knots, can't we? I'm sure in this room it's filled with over and simultaneously underthinkers. Overthinkers and underthinkers, right? Underthinkers walk into Cheesecake Factory and say, well, there's one thing on your title. Overthinkers walk in and look at the menu and then they die for like 45 minutes trying to figure out what to do with it. What do I want? Is it on this page? Probably not. By the time they bring the water, you're going to see the next page, right? I mean, it, it, it's the worst, isn't it? And, and, and we know those moments are funny, except that that's how we live our faith sometimes. We overthink it to the point that our mind gets spinning on so many different things, we never actually do the things that God's called us to, to glorify His name. We start overthinking it in a way that just says, I'm so wrapped up in spinning my wheels in the ways that I have fallen short that I never get to the things that God says. Do this for my glory. Use this gift, this ability. See, the Lord wants to take self-centered glory seekers and He wants to make them God-centered glory seekers. See, we can seek glory, it's just not our own anymore. So in the midst of this, when we see that Christ is the key to a proper vision of glory, that Christ is the wisdom of God, Christ is the pathway to righteousness and true pleasure, and that everything else that we would give ourselves to is counterfeit, everything else that we would bring into our lives for spiritual nourishment is counterfeit, our cry at, at the end of the day can be very simply this, give us Christ. Give us Christ that we may live for His glory. As the band joins me, the there are some implications of a God-glorifying life. So don't, you, don't you just get that sense from Scripture of purpose now? You know, my hope is today that if you walked in here and you just thought, I, I don't even know why I'm going, that you're walking out with this sense of purpose for your life. You're walking out with the sense of the purpose of bringing God glory through your life, drawing attention to His name and His renown. You can do that. No matter your season, your station in life, no matter the things that you are walking through, the things that you have done, through Jesus Christ, you can bring God glory with your life. But there are some implications for us. Because the, the glory of God, it, it takes our life and it infuses it with meaning. It gives it a grand purpose. It gives it a glory that we cannot deny that we are called to live for. And I don't say that in a way that just makes it feel like more condemnation if you haven't been living that way. But we also have to recognize that the glory of God is very much and directly connected to our own personal holiness. Now let me just make a clarifying comment. We are going into a section on the spiritual gifts. Personal holiness does not equal more gifts. But personal holiness is a part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those gifts are free. But there are times that we try to like, we play a shell game with the gifts, don't we? Well, now it's going to be a gift. And maybe now I should focus on some holiness. How about we do both? How about we do both? That's what we see in Scripture. 
Paul's not saying next week I'm going to tell you about the other ways that you should be living. No, this is all one unified message here from him to the church. But our personal holiness has to be connected to our seeking to bring God glory. See, God saved us to transform us for his glory. We're being changed from one degree of glory to another. Let's ask the Lord what are those things that he's after in our heart today. See, pursuing holiness, even in just an intentional way, is not legalism. It's a part of being a disciple of Christ. It's actually at the core of the definition of living a grace-centered life and a walk with Christ. Grace is not weak. It is strong. And lastly, the glory of God reminds us of the beginning and the end of all things. And it gives us a sense of where we are today, no matter what we're walking through, no matter the things that have been done to us, or even the things that we have done to others. It gives us a way to feel connected in history. The glory of God was present in creation. The glory of God is present in eternity. The glory of God was present at the cross, at the resurrection, at the ascension, throughout the life that Jesus Christ lived on our behalf. And the glory of God is present through you and me today as we live our lives for his glory. So it connects us in this very practical way today and for eternity. Isn't it amazing to think your life, your actions, your words, your thoughts, your speech, your work, your relationship status, your being male or female, your season of life, your sex life, your diet, your finances, your service, your gifts, your abilities, your listening habits, your entertainments, your... Are you starting to get the point? Your everything. And the sum of all of these things for each of us gathered here today can glorify God. Where is he calling you? to glorify him with your life what are you building up or what are you tearing down through your life and may he give us the strength to live for him alone can we stand together and sing